Hello.
in the light. Well, good morning. It is good to see you on this Labor Day weekend. I am glad that you're here. And, uh, <clears throat> I appreciate the students being quiet and listening when somebody gets up and starts talking. Y'all are setting the example for all the adults. Thank you so much. But, no, I'm glad. It's funny. I love to see you fellowshipping and talking together. It's good to see you. If you look in your worship, God, there's one thing. It's a ministry opportunity for us. With the, um, the WMU and the backpack ministry, there's a lot going on in that, in that announcement, so I'll just let you read it, but please take part in this, and let's make sure that we do what we need to be doing here and helping people eat and feed. Um, there are a lot of children who they look forward. Even I, I was here another day, um, some of the backpacks that we do for schools, when, when the child is sick, someone from the family shows up on Friday to pick the backpack up because they're depending on it. So let's make sure we get involved in this. But we're glad you're here. Want to welcome you. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? You can be seated. We are really glad that you're here, and we want to welcome you and encourage you to be involved in the things in our church, and if I can help you with that in any way, um, I'd love to talk to you about it after the service. We're going to baptize at the end of the service today, but afterwards, I'll be over there by the baptismal pool. I'd love to talk to any of you about the things in our church. We have a brand new uh, month and a brand new call to worship. It comes straight out of the book of Revelation, and it's right where the, um, in verse 8, where the, the living creatures, you see it here, give glory and honor and thanks, but they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So right after they say that, we pick up here. So take a second and read it. I know it's, it's fresh, but um, we're going to read it out loud in just a second, and I hope that you'll read it loud with me. Are you ready? Read it with me. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks 
We continue to read our scriptures, going through each book of the Bible, reading the different sections, and Joe Bob's going to come and read the scripture. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joe Bob. Let's continue to worship church. You know, as we come this morning, we come to the living water. We come to the one that tells us that we can be satisfied in him. You know, one of the things that John has been challenging us as a people, as the body of Christ, is to pray for revival. And in the bridge of the song, it just talks about revival. And so let's make that our prayer this morning as we sing this song. But let's come to the one who satisfies.
Oh 
together. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely. and the whole focus of Revelation 4 and 5 is the one who is seated on the throne. Let's make that our focus for a moment. Would you praise our Father? Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. Praise them. Thank you for those who are able to write music and lead us to the throne on a daily and weekly basis. For these who've been able to play and lead us today, thank you. And we do want you, Holy Spirit, to turn our eyes toward Jesus. I know there's a lot going on in the world around us. Every single one of us, we have a lot of things happening. They're all different. Some some are similar, but many are different. But our need is to keep our eyes on you. And so, Father, I just pray for a moment that um, that you would just come down in this room in your presence, and that you would manifest yourself to us. I know there are those in this room who are hurting. I know there are those who are in deep need. They need direction. They need understanding and wisdom. There are those who are in need of some type of financial thing. Healing that's mental physical and emotional and spiritual. 
some of us face needs we may not even know about yet, but you know they're around the corner. We turn our eyes toward you. And what our prayer is, Lord, as we've learned through James, is that in the midst of the good, of the healing, and in the midst of the suffering, we keep our eyes on you. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would not fear. For your rod and your staff are with us. You lead us. And the only reason someone in this room may be in a valley right now is because the valley is the way to a better place. You've got something. You're moving in our life. So I lift up my brothers and sisters here. And I pray, Lord, as we come to a text that is familiar, familiar in text, but also familiar in the way that we do things. God, I just pray that you'd speak to us and help us. Help us to know how to live. Help us to know how to live under your grace and not under your opposition. This is our prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. And um, we're going to finish this chapter. As you're turning, um, Tammy Huey, our kindergarten daycare director, is celebrating her, this week will be celebrating her 18th year as a director of our kindergarten daycare Um, She's been working in our daycare for 25 years, um, and that's amazing. So um, she started when she was just a little tiny girl, um, but she's still working. So if if you have children in the daycare, thank her as you come through. And um, it's a ministry. um, She serves with our staff, and um, and, and so just thank her um, for for what she does. And um, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, let me just remind you, as I did last week, that what James says here and what we're studying really all the way through next week's text comes in the context of verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That phrase, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, this is what he's talking about. It's what he's showing us, how to live under the grace of God. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word, starting with verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, for her, it is sin. This is the word of God. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, when I read this text and and we talk about they're going to go in such and such town and make a profit, 
most of us probably sit in our American culture and think, well, what's wrong with that? Because what James describes in verses 13 and 14 is, is really true of most of those who do business. And, and, and if we're honest, many in this room, this is, this is the way you, you operate your life. You, you find a, a, a place to go and, and, and you go and make a plan and you, and you make a profit. I want us to walk through this to try to help us understand it because, again, what he's saying to us is all within that context of living under God's grace and not under his opposition. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he's showing us what it looks like to be a humble person. He's showing us, and we'll see especially next week, what it looks like to be under the opposition of God. And and we'll walk through this. And so I just want to walk through it, and we're going to give you some simple words, and we'll go verse by verse and try to understand what James is saying. The first thing we see is foolishness. Foolishness. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Now, this is foolishness, and let me explain why. There's, there's someone in this place that's doing the business that business people do. And he's got three things in mind here. He's got a plan. If you're going to do business, you need a plan. And he has a plan. Not only does he have a plan, he has a place. He says, we're going to go to such and such town. Come now, let's go. We're going to go to such and such place. And and so he says, today or tomorrow, maybe we'll spend a year. There's the plan. Here's the place. We'll go into such and such town. He's got profit in mind. It's not a lot of sense in going and doing it if you're not going to get some profit out of it, whatever that profit may be, okay? Profit may not be money. It may be another type of profit, but but it doesn't make sense to do it. He says, without profit. And so he says, here it is. He's got a plan. He's got a place. He's got a profit. So what's wrong with this? Well, let me just start by saying there are those who take this passage and twist it and say that God's against profit, that no one should make profit. Let me say that's not what this text is saying. We see in the Bible and other places that you can use that profit for the kingdom of God and that it is a good thing. We also see in other places that if you use that profit to make your own kingdom, it's a bad thing. But if you use it to to, to to praise God and, and to bring blessings to others, it's a good thing. So there are those who say, well, profit's bad. And others say, no, capitalism's bad. We, we shouldn't be a capitalistic people. Well, that's also, capitalism's a good idea, um, or, or getting rid of capitalism's a good idea until you li- go to China, okay? Go somewhere else where, where they don't get to enjoy all the capitalism that we get to enjoy. So that's not the point. There's a lot of things in the Bible about business and about profit. Let me just say to you that that profit is a good thing. Business is a good thing. Plans are good. Work is good. Work was a creation ordinance. It was in the garden before the fall. Those are good things. But you can do it in a way that's not good. And that's what we see here. You can do it in a way where it gets geared on yourself and not on God and not on his kingdom and not on other people. So you say, well, okay, I still don't see the problem here. There's a plan, there's a place, there's a profit. But there seems to be something missing, and that's a prayer. There's no prayer. We don't see it here. He's not seeking God's will. 
He's doing what he wants to do, and she's doing what she wants to do and leaving God out. He said, well, how do you know that? Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. That gives us an understanding that this person is not considering the will of God. They're they're thinking only about what they want to think about. And here's what I read. Someone said this. He said, "It's, it's not the occupation here that's the problem. It's not the occupation, but the attitude that has become secular in this text. They, they, they're just leaving God out. It's, it's full of self-confidence. It's full of pride, pride and ability, and it's lacking in humility. In the midst of this, um, of, in the midst of what seems totally normal and routine, this fictional story shows us the danger of leaving God out of our plans. It shows us the danger of not asking God about what we should do before we do it. Proverbs is is, is a book full of practical principles for things like business and profit and how we're supposed to use it and, and being faithful and all those things. But my favorite chapter of the Proverbs is Proverbs 16. And verse 9 is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. Look what he says. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You can make all the plans you want to make, but it is God who establishes your steps. And that word establish means determines. It is God who determines your steps. Down to the most minute detail, God is working in your life. Psalm 139, verse 16, reminds us of this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Leave that verse up and think about what he's saying. God's got several books. He's got a book of life. He's got a book of deeds. Here's a book of days that God has. And he says, the before time began, when there were no days in your life, God wrote down your days. That chapter in your life has a beginning and it has an end. You know that, right? Obviously, you know you have a beginning because you're here. But you know you have an ending date. That's a part of what James is going to tell us. I believe God knows that day. I believe that day is established. And that God has a day for you that no matter what you do at that certain time, that moment's coming, that you will come into his presence. But the days between, the beginning and the end, are also mapped out by God. And it just doesn't make sense for us to plan without first going to the one who knows the future. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to make plans without coming to God and asking God what he thinks we should do. That's what he's saying to us. He shows us the foolishness of it. But he also shows us the shortness of life. Look at the shortness here. He says in the next verse, verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. They're planning for a year out. And James says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. That's true. We, we plan for tomorrow, but let's be honest, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We know what we think will happen tomorrow, and we ought to plan for it, but not without seeking God. We have to be real honest. We don't even know what the next hour brings, do we? I can really say this this way. If we walk out of this room, we really don't know 
what's going to happen. We know what we think will happen. I tell you what I think. I think I'm going to go home, eat some of the red beans and rice that I made last night, which is always better on the second day. And then I'm going to take a really good Sunday afternoon, Labor Day weekend nap. That's what I think. But I didn't ever make it that far. We have to understand that, that we have to think in terms of the shortness of life. Why? Because of the fragility of it. The fragility of it. Look at the fragility of life. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now you can work out. You can run, you can exercise, you can diet, you can eat nothing that tastes good your entire life. <laughs> I'm trying to do that right now. I'm eating the good stuff, but, but it, anyway, <laughs> you can do that. Dr. Bill McClanahan, many of you knew Dr. Bill, they've moved now, but, but Bill, I told him he ate so many carrots, he was turning orange. He, he, he just... Raw carrots, raw apples. He, he set the example for all of us who ate what we wanted to eat. But Bill used to joke. He said, all my patients eat whatever they want to eat. He said, here I am eating carrots and apples, and one day I'm going to step off the curb and get hit by a bus. <laughs> we all know that, that we can be strong and healthy and die. So what are you saying? I mean, you're not making, I know I'm not making your day right now. Somebody told me second, first service, man, I'm glad you ended positive. So I'm going to get there. But, but understand this. This is what I'm trying to say. Do we think about our death? Do you think about it? I know you're young and, and you got all time and no memories. And all of us have got a lot of memories and not a lot of time. Do you think about your death. You should. You should think about it because it's coming. Do you prepare for it? Listen, let me just say to you, men, ladies, get some insurance, make some plans. I've sat with people in the funeral home, either this one or ushery. I've sat in both of them, and I've been with people who have planned, and I've been with people whose, answer, whose, whose loved one didn't plan. Plan. I'm not saying don't plan. But do you plan not just financially? I know you've got your 401k, you've got your retirement, you've got your Roth RA, you've got whatever it is you're investing in. You've got all those things, and those are good things. Hear me say that. They are good things. I want to be able, if I go first to die, where Kim is better off than she was when I was on the earth. That don't take much, but I'm just hoping that she'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing. Jimmy Buffett made a lot of money. Buffett said, I made enough money to buy Miami. If you know a song, you know the rest of that. I'm not going to quote it. But I heard about his death and I wondered, did he plan? Did the man who enjoyed the beach and the party and all the things that he sang about, did he plan for what happened the moment he stepped from this life into the next? I don't know. But I know life is fragile. You've got to act that way. It's a mist. It's a vapor. And if you've got a testimony for me to hear that Jimmy Buffett's in heaven, I'd love to hear it, okay? But this is not right now. And I don't understand. The second thing I'd say to you 
when you think about the shortness, is the uncertainty, the uncertainty of life. It's fragile, no matter how strong you are, it's fragile. But it's also uncertain. Look at what he says. He says, just for a little time, for a little time, we're not guaranteed 100 years, are we? I'll be honest, I don't know that I want to live 100 years. Now, if I can live like Caleb and, and Joshua and be strong and have my eyesight, that's already gone and my hearing. Uh, yeah, I would love to be able to live a long time, but, but I'm just thinking about the funerals I've done. I don't know that I've done in all my ministry more than two or three funerals for people over 100. We're not guaranteed 100 years. We, we, we've got to realize what the Bible says. And remember, the Bible's our source of life. Moses wrote one of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And Moses in Psalm 90, verse 10 says this. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. I figured it out. 12 and a half years, I'm 70. How far are you from 70? Now, y'all think, I'm 70? I mean, I'm, you're not even 20. Yes, you know, I understand. But how far are you from 70? And then how many, maybe, how far over 80 are you? You understand that the Bible shows us and reminds us that there's an uncertainty to life and there's a fragility to life. And even if we could live to be a thousand, I don't want to be. Could you imagine? But if you could live to be a thousand, what is that in eternity? Understand this reminder. We live like we're vapors. We're just a mist. Hear what I'm saying. We need to live for the moment we leave. Hear me. The world says, live for the moment, party up, go enjoy. Yes, enjoy, but live for the moment we leave. I was watching this little thing the other day. Um, there was a player, I, I didn't ever figure out who he was, but he had played for Bobby Bowden. He was speaking to the Florida State um, team before they played LSU and, and, and or getting ready to play LSU. And, and one of the things he said, um, he, he looked at the coach of that team. And I don't even know who the coach of FSU is anymore, but he looked at the coach and he started about talking about Coach Bowden because he had played for Bowden. And he looked at the coach. He said, Coach, I hope you win them all but I also hope you're working more for your obituary than you are for your resume. And that's stuck in the back of my head. I hope we all are living for our obituary more than we are our resume. So resume important, yeah. But what's most important is the moment we step from this life into another. And here's what I want to show you in verse 15. There is another way to live. There's another way. Instead, you ought to say, you see that? There's another way. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I don't think James has given us a phrase to repeat. I had a friend. Um, I don't see him a whole lot anymore, but it was like, it, 
it was like scratching your fingers on a chalkboard or for me putting a wooden tongue on a wooden spoon on your tongue that just drives me crazy to see any wooden thing on a tongue and I know it's weird it's just me popsicle sticks uh uh-huh, not, not when they're wooden and 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 I don't know why doctors the only thing they have to check is is wooden I said Bill can't you get plastic I don't understand that but not in my notes let me get back it's not, he, he said all the time, if the Lord wills, we'll, we'll play golf. If the Lord wills, we'll do this. And I wanted to say, we know what you mean, brother. Stop it. He's not giving you a phrase to repeat. As soon as church was over, Patsy Lee came up and said, if the Lord wills, 15 times to me, just to get me. So I know it's coming. It's not a phrase. It's an attitude. The attitude we must always have is if the Lord wills. So what's he saying? Don't make plans without prayer. Don't set your schedule without prayer. The Bible tells us to do everything by prayer. Why? Well, let me ask you a better question. Why not? Why would you plan a huge, elaborate party outside for tomorrow if you didn't check the weather first? Why would you schedule a cruise in hurricane season and don't check the weather before you get on the boat? Why why would you invest in a stock when you've not looked at the company? Why would you make a plan for tomorrow without checking with the one who knows what will actually happen tomorrow? Pray about it. Seek his face. The problem really goes back to verse 7. Submit to God and resist the devil. What James is talking about here is living a life that submits to God. And you can't submit to God if you don't ask God what he wants you to do. So there are things I don't have to pray about. We've talked about this before. I don't have to pray, God, is it your will for me to turn on this pornographic site? I don't have to pray, God, is it your will for me to go out with another woman? I don't have to pray, God, is it your will for me to kill my child right now? Sometimes I wanted to. But it was never his will. I'm talking about killing a child, not the other things. There are some things you don't have to pray about because you know what God says. But you need to learn to pray and ask God his will. I think maybe the problem, and I've mentioned this recently, is, is we don't see ourselves at war. If you see yourself at or you're going to constantly be in communication with the one who can know all things. You're going to constantly be asking questions because he sees, God sees what's around the corner. And so if God sees what's around the corner and I'm moving that way and there's danger around the corner and I want to just bulldoze my way through it and God says, stop, there's another way, then maybe I ought to listen to him. Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. 
If you watched football yesterday, you saw coaches with headphones. Why? Because coaches up in the box can see things that coaches on the field can't see. God sees things that you can't see. He knows things that you don't know. So ask him. Hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Just because there's a profit to be made doesn't mean it's God's will. Just because it will work doesn't mean it's God's will. Church, we need to hear that. Just because it works doesn't mean it's God's will. Just because there's a a raise or a promotion for you in your life doesn't mean it's best. You may make a little bit more money and spend 30 more hours on the road. Is it worth it? You've got to ask yourself those questions. And the best way to ask that is, God, what's your will in this? What do you want? And I dig into his word. So I take time and I listen to God. It comes back to verse I submit to God. I live in close fellowship with him. I, I draw near to him as we see in that verse 8. I purge the sin from my life. I, I cleanse my hands and my heart. I repent. I, I humble myself before him. This is all what James has just told us. I, I'm doing these things. And when I live that way, verse 10 says that he will exalt us. There's another way to live. It took me years to realize that I didn't have to keep beating my head against the wall doing it my way. That there's a better way. It's God's way. It's amazing how much better life is when I just simply walk in obedience to what God's telling me to do. Well, one more thing. Two more things. There's the source. The source of verses 13 and 14 is found in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Everything he said in verse 13 comes back to arrogance. You make plans, you boast about your ability. And you carry it out. The heart of the problem here is arrogance. I want you to hear me. The heart of a prayerless life is arrogance. I'm not speaking down to you. I'm speaking with you. I need this too. The heart of a prayerless life is arrogance. Because it's a life lived with God. I really don't need your help in this. I know what to do. I've got this one. Has it ever worked out well for you when you said, God, I got this? It never has for me. And so what do we do? We seek him and realize that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. One of the best ways I know to describe this is to ask you to turn back in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Some of these verses will be on the screen. But Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel 4, you find this man of God. Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. And and Daniel speaks to him. And then warns him. He tells him about what's going to happen. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. And so, if you look in verse 28, 
couple verses won't be on the, on the, up on the screen. But look at verse 28 if you have your Bible. Daniel 4, 28. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And look at it. It says, and the king answered and said, is, this not, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. You see the pride in that? The arrogance, the boasting. Daniel's just warned him, and yet he still says it. And then verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Verse 32 tells him you're going to be driven from among men. You will dwell with the beasts of the field. You will eat grass like an ox in seven periods of time, which is probably seven years, shall pass over you until you know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He's saying, until you know that you're here because of me, you're going to eat like a cow. You know what it says he does? Look at verse 33 if you have your Bible. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like the bird's claws. That's pride. That's God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. That's the grace of God. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he goes through and talks about that. And in verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Whew. Isn't that what James says? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's one other thing that I just want to remind you of in this text, and that's the word omission. Omission. Comes in the last verse, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the sin of omission. Sin of commission the church talks about all the time. Don't do it. The Bible says don't do it. And when you do what you're not supposed to do, you have committed, you've committed the sin of commission. You've committed that sin. But the sin of omission, we don't talk a lot about that. It's just as sinful. So it is sinful for me to kill someone in anger. It is sinful for me not to lift someone up out of love. Both are sin. Sin of omission Sin of commission. And so when you look at this, it really comes down, if you, if you just look in your Bibles and go back to verse 7, where he says, submit yourself to God. Here's God's will for us. This is what James is saying. 
Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Draw near, verse 8, to God. Verse 4, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. That means mourn over your sin. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. Verse 11, don't speak against your brothers one another. See that there's a judge. And then we come right into our text. This is God's will. And if you know that's will, the will of God, and you don't do it, you've sinned. What we have to do is to see life from the perspective of God's glory. That's the great need that we have. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, it will soon pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. There are things to stop doing. There are things to start doing. But the one thing I hope we can do as a church is learn to seek God's presence continually. To pray and to seek God. I read the Psalms through five Psalms a day. And on the 21st of, the, of this month, I read Psalm 81. I posted about it. I, I love Psalm 81 because right in the middle of Psalm 81 is a verse, verse 10, that just shouts at me every time I read it. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God says, open your mouth wide. And I will fill it. It's a promise of God who had delivered Israel over and over and over again. And yet they refused to walk with him in their stubbornness. And verse 11 says, this is Psalm 81, verse 11. But my people will not listen to my voice. Israel, hear James in this, Israel would not submit to me. James tells us to submit, and the psalmist is showing us when Israel wouldn't submit and the consequences, and you hear the brokenness of God in this. Israel would not submit to me. I want to fill them, but he would, they would not submit. He wants the relationship, but they would not submit. And verse 12 gives us the result of not submitting. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own, follow their own counsels. That's our culture. That's our world. I gave them over to their own hearts. That's Romans 1. I gave them over to follow their own counsel. I gave them over to their own stubbornness. But listen to what God says in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I want you to know something today. God wants to walk with you. God wants to have a dialogue with you, a conversation with you. God wants to lead you and guide you. He will take you through some valleys. He'll take you to some mountaintops. But I really believe that God wants to be in such a relationship with you that he begins to speak through his word and speak through his spirit so that you know when you should and you know when you shouldn't. That you can talk to God. I I really think God delights in stopping you when you need to stop. 
He delights in getting you to, to say something to that person at the cashier. He delights in you just being kind and, and, and letting people see the love of Jesus and telling them how it is. He delights he delights in you playing a great game of football. He delights when you march in that band. He delights when you play and do the things God's called you to do. He delights in that. But he wants you to do it for his glory. And what he will do is lead you and guide you, just like he did Elijah. We'll see that later. Just like he did Moses. God will guide you and direct you. But you got to listen to them. I've lived a life of butting my head against the wall. I've lived a life of doing it my own way, and it didn't come out like I wanted it. I've also walked in the Spirit of God, and I know how good that is. So I want to challenge you today to walk with Him. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? I wonder if, if you could today... Commit yourself to going back and going back to James chapter 4. It's starting back in verse 1 and just moving your way through, but especially in verses 7 and following. Those are things God wants you to do. Those are ways you submit to him. If you remember, I said that command to submit to God drives everything else. Would you think about what God's calling you to do in your life today? Is he urging you to take a step that you just don't know if you could take? Take it. Is he holding you back from doing something you really want to do, but there's just something about it that tells you you shouldn't do it? Then wait. Listen to God. Dig into his word and see who he is and learn to hear his voice and walk in him. I don't know what God's calling you to do today. I, I would just challenge you as we get ready to sing to pray this simple prayer that we've prayed many times together. Lord Jesus, would you pray that? Just right there in the silence of your own heart. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do now? That's the beginning application of this sermon. Whatever that is, whatever that step is, maybe you just need to come and pray. To ask God to send revival. Maybe you need to ask God for revival in your life or revival in this church. I don't know what it is you need to do right now. But I want to challenge you to ask God and take that first little step of doing whatever it is he tells you to do. Father, that's my prayer. For my own life, for each person that's leading up here, for each person that's sitting here, for each person that's at home that we would simply ask you, what do you want us to do right now? And be obedient to that. Help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be right over here. If I can help you with any of that, Tim's here, we'll help you. Mark's in the back. We'll help you in any way we can. Let's stand together and see.
a story. A man walked in to rob an old Amish man's house. And he said, I'm going to kill you. And he said, you can't kill me. I've been crucified with Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. If I die, I'm in heaven. I live. He said, I'm going to make you suffer. He said, you make me suffer. But if you do, I'm going to rejoice. Because the Bible says that it's a blessing. It's blessed to suffer persecution. He said, well, I'll take everything you have. He says, you can't. It's already God's. He says, you know, there ain't much you can do to a man who's already dead, doesn't have anything, and not afraid to suffer. And you live that way, it's a good life. It's a blessed life. The avenue to that life is faith in Jesus Christ and salvation. The next step in that life is publicly professing your faith in Christ through baptism. So if you be seated for just a moment, I'm going to turn this over to Mark. And he's going to introduce the one that's being baptized. If you're a part of the family or friends, we want you to go ahead and come around and, and, you, and get over here. You might want to bring your Bibles and stuff because we're going to dismiss right after this. But make sure you get around where people in the front can see. But let's celebrate this together. Well, good morning. My name is Mark Walker, the student minister here, and I'm super excited uh, for baptism, and we're going to give friends and family time to come around. But uh, this is Hunter Kim. He's a freshman at Pell City High School, and I was told to say the member of the Marching Band of Gold by your friends, so they're here uh, for you, and y'all did an amazing job Friday night. But at school, Hunter came a couple of weeks ago and said, I want to be baptized, and so we had a chance to to sit down and, and talk over some chicken at Chick-fil-A and just kind of walk through some things. And he understands that he has already come to faith in Christ. He did that some time ago, but he comes this morning uh, to profess that faith through baptism. So we are super excited for you, Hunter, and we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me, and then John's on dismiss us. Lord, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for Hunter and just his passion for you and his choice to follow you, and it's just his obedience to follow you in baptism. Lord, we pray for him as he continues to grow in the things of you and the, the folks he has to love and support him, the friends, and we just thank you. We just give you this day. In name we pray. Amen. Amen, Hunter. We're proud of you, and thank you so much for being here. I just want to close with the blessing that we have, and then the benediction, and then also we remind you that our ushers are at the door. Have a great, hopefully, holiday weekend for you. Enjoy that time with family. Would you just stand and bow your heads with me? Right afterwards, we do need to do the chairs, but spend some time greeting folks around you. Listen to the Word of God. Would you bow your heads? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Thank you. God bless you.